firstly, I mean, we can go straight into it. I really appreciate your time. You're a busy guy. You're running around with your mates, with your mates everywhere, and uh, and you're doing a lot of online stuff. And so, I, I really appreciate your time for a, for a Cape Tonian guy. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. I mean, Jason, um, you know, this is uh, I, I'm I'm quite keen on on kind of talking to interesting guys, particularly from a business perspective and, and, um, and I've been kind of following you for, for a while now, um, for about a year and a half. Uh, firstly, have you, have you been to Cape Town before? I have not. Nope. Uh, okay. I'd like got, to at some point, but no, yeah. Yeah. You've got to get you. I see you were, you were in Iceland recently. Yeah. I was in Iceland uh, earlier this year, which was great. You know, we just, we just got back from Montana last night, which was another great adventure. Beautiful. The, the 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 beauty of being of having a majority online business. Yeah, exactly. Um, for for those, I mean, I've been following you quite closely. Um, but but can you perhaps just kind of take me back? You're one of the original guys on on the health and fitness scene there, particularly strength and conditioning, um, and and uh, started kind of early '90s, if I'm if if I'm correct. Can, can you just kind of give me an indication as to as to what those gyms looked like back then how you how you kind of got into it yeah so uh i grew up you know kind of stereotypical skinny weak insecure kid in a small town in new jersey just outside of new york city and in the 80s i grew up watching stallone and schwarzenegger on the big screen and every saturday morning i would watch hulk hogan and the ultimate warrior uh, on, on wwf wrestling and as a younger kid i was obsessed with superheroes so i kind of always wanted to be this larger than life guy and, you know, be jacked and be, be a, be a superhero and, and someone who could, who could lead and help and inspire people. But I was so far from that. I was, I was fat as a kid and then I was skinny fat and then I was just skinny and, uh, you know, got, got bullied, got beat up, wasn't the best athlete, didn't have the greatest genetics and had a ton of insecurity and low self-esteem and self-limiting beliefs. And so I had a, a lot of stuff to work through, but I got into training when I was about 12 years old from a guy, my, my cousin Christine was dating a guy who was a professional wrestler, not with WWE at the time, but a smaller federation. Uh-huh. And so he kind of got me into it and he wrote me some, uh, some programs and I got started and then I just kind of got bitten by the iron bug and I became obsessed with it over the next several years. And at first I, I didn't really get anywhere because he was giving me a, a seven day a week, two hour a day program that wasn't ideal for beginners and, you know, someone with less than optimal genetics and who wasn't on steroids. Yeah. Uh, so I had to figure that out the way through a lot of learning and research. And eventually, like I said, I became obsessed and started interning in the, in the weight room back in college. And, and um, back then, you could only really get your information. There was no internet. There was really no great resources. So in the back of Iron Man magazine, there was a one-page ad where you could order older books from the 70s, 60s, 50s, and eventually... So eventually I got into stuff like uh, Randall J. Strassen and super squats and some of the more powerlifting kind of stuff. And then even uh, John McCallum and then even older stuff, Steve Reeves, uh, Larry Scott, Vince Gironda. And eventually there was a way you could get your hold on uh, a hold of the really old stuff, like from 1906, George Hackenschmidt wow. and Arthur Saxon. And so then I was able to kind of, you know, you utilize some of those old school methods, which back then were really novel. Nobody was doing that. You think about the 80s, 90s, people were just doing kind of bodybuilding workouts and Gold's Gym and whatnot. So I was able to carve out a little niche and it was, it was pretty unique at, at the time. And uh, 
eventually went on to open up my first gym. Well, I, I started training people. I got, I got sick and I had to come home from school on bed rest. So I got my first certification while I was home for a while. And then I started training people when I was 19. And by the end of that summer, business was just on, a, on, a, on an incredible pace. I was, I was growing really fast uh, business-wise. So I transferred back home and continued to run the business and saved up. I, I was just bouncing around going to client to client back then, but I saved up enough money to open up my own spot, my own kind of one of the original underground warehouse style gyms. And it was literally underground. It was in a basement. And uh, that, that, that was kind of the beginning. That was the, uh, the origins of how I got started. So, so I mean, you, you were 19, you were a young guy. Um, I imagine you've been a, a lot of people from New Jersey are, are good talkers and, and are good conversational people. Um, I mean, what, what made you like, what made you successful in those days? Was it simply kind of taking a guy and uh, who was skinny and, and, and kind of adding muscles over time and, and then he spoke to his mates, et cetera, et cetera? Or, or how did it grow so quickly? So, I, you know, honestly, I don't have a great answer for that. I've, I, as a kid, when, when I was training people as a kid, I, I certainly wasn't the best trainer. I didn't know a ton back then. But I was, you know, I had a voracious appetite for, for knowledge and I was, I was learning everything I could and just putting every dime back into my education. So constantly reading a new book, going to a new seminar, a new workshop, and I was getting good results. Certainly not what I could get now, but I was getting good results and I was creating a really unique thing, a really unique atmosphere. No one else was doing what we were doing. No one else was doing this, the style of training that we were doing long before CrossFit came around. Mm. We had sandbags and tires and sleds and sledgehammers and chains and ropes and all these things that were really unique and so nobody had seen any of this stuff so that in itself was unique the atmosphere i created with the music and playing old school hip-hop and heavy metal mm. that was unique uh i you know i made it all the things that i thought were cool and wanted and even back then when i was not the greatest communicator and was, was a lot more insecure and shy and quiet I still kind of knew that all humans have this innate desire for connection and that, yeah. that you wanted to just create this really special environment where everybody felt like family and everybody had fun. And it was so much more than just the physical training. And I think that's what really did it. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's how things grew at, at the beginning and, uh, it really just took off. And then, like you said there, I had, at first I had just regular adult clients and I really wanted to train athletes because I was obsessed with sports my whole life. Right. A huge diehard Giants and Yankees fan. And so I got my first client. He was 12 years old at the time. He was, his name was Mike Schwab. That was a uh, 20, what was that? 24 years ago. And he and I are still good friends. He's like a little brother to me to this day. Just had dinner with him in New York city about a week or two ago. All right, cool. And uh, Mike was a great wrestler. He was a great football player. So I trained him. And within you know a few months, he was starting to set records and do really well. And then he referred me another kid who referred me another kid. And all of a sudden, it started to blow up. And so that was when I started group training. And back then, nobody was doing group training. It was all one-on-one sure? on yeah. one personal training. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to – I really want to do this. I want to train groups of athletes. I know that most of them aren't going to be able to afford or the parents back then weren't going to pay the – adult rates per hour and i just want more kids because i want more experience so i cut the rates in half and then created this group uh training package for for student athletes and that just blew up to the point where eventually i'd have 70 kids coming in after school and wow. we would just go groups of 10 to 12 hour after hour after hour and i, I learned so much and 
was able to experiment and test and get really good at what I did over, over the next decade or so doing that. And eventually those guys went on to play college ball and they'd refer me guys and go on to play pro ball and bring guys back. And uh, that was my life for 12 to 15 years, about 10, 12 hours a day on the gym floor just doing that. I mean, you must have been a superhuman fitness, uh, fitness freak at that stage of your life. Yeah, I mean, back then to me, because I grew up so skinny and weak and insecure, I didn't have the healthiest diet. Now my, my, my nutrition is completely different being, you know, a month out for my 44th birthday. And it's all about health and longevity and reducing inflammation and increasing, improving cognitive function. Back then it was just about being as big as humanly possible. Mm. So I graduated high school at 147 pounds at six feet tall. And I got myself up to close to 230 pounds. And I certainly wasn't lean. I was just eating everything inside, just trying to get big and jacked. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was definitely strong. I was definitely big. But uh, I'd, I'd say my overall fitness is probably better now than it was back then. But that was, you know, through, through my own choice and, and, and habits and whatever it's done. Okay. Yeah, because uh, you and I are the same age. I turned 44 uh, last month. And and um, you know have hit the have are trying are trying all new kind of exercise things just because that kind of midlife crisis hits and I've started I started jujitsu about uh, three or four months ago and I promise you the pain the, the pain the pain that you feel in a forty four year old body is horrible yeah it's terrible um, so so I mean the the I, I imagine um, the the issue with kind of training, training folk is there's, it's like being a lawyer. You, you've only got a certain amount of hours in the day. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so what kind of, what, what progressed the business um, into the renegade, into the renegade strength club side, particularly uh, the online side. Um, and, and how did that, how did that progress from your, your kind of underground gym into, into more of an online business? So I was doing really interesting, unique stuff. And in 2001, Alan Cosgrove, who's uh, mm. he's originally from Scotland, but he's been over here for years and top fitness pro for, for I don't know, 20, 30 years now. And he, well, more, more than 20 years for sure. He uh, said to me, you know, you're, you're doing some really cool stuff and you, you really have a unique approach to training. Some of, the, some of the things you're doing are really novel. You should start writing. And back then we didn't even know that the word blog didn't even exist. So I just started my own kind of crappy little website that I made on my own. And I started putting out content. and in school, I, I was a horrible student. I, you know, I basically had D's and slept through most of my classes. Mm. But in English and literature and any kind of writing class, I always did really well for whatever reason. I was able to write fairly well and I enjoyed writing. It was one of the things that didn't bore me to tears. So I started writing a lot and it started to pick up some traction. A lot of people started reading it. And before long, I had bigger websites requesting me to write them. And then that gave me the confidence to reach out to even bigger sites and say, hey, can I submit some articles? Can I write for you? And that was around 2001. And then I got, got on some really big sites. And I kind of just had the, the foresight, whatever, to say, you know what? I'm going to start uh, selling programming. And, and right, I'm doing some really unique stuff. I'm getting incredible results. All my guys are getting mind-blowing results. They're breaking records. They're getting scholarships. I got to share what I'm doing yeah. and start selling some stuff. So 2003... Now everybody and their mother sells online training and online program. In 2003, nobody was doing it. There was maybe three guys doing it. I was one of the guys doing it. I was self-publishing my own stuff, selling stuff, and it was working out okay. And then Men's Fitness did a one-page article on me with a link to my website, 
And over the next six weeks, and it's so funny how the world's changed so much since then, because that would not have this impact now. But over the next six weeks, I started making $300 a day from this little ebook and, and training program that I had. And I wasn't making anywhere near that. I was making maybe, I don't know, about 20 bucks a day or something, but it was still, you know, enough to, to pay the rent and whatever. But, um, and I said, wow, you know, I, I, I'm not that great at math and I failed a lot of classes, but I know that that equals six figures that adds up <laughs> at least a hundred grand. So let me really figure this out. Let me put some effort into it. And because by that time that was, it was closing around 2004 I've been training people over a decade, 12 hours straight at that point. And, and I realized that eventually you get burnt out. Like you said, you can't, it comes like a lawyer, you can't reach as many people and you just can't scale that much. So no matter how, how, how much you raise your rates, you know? So I said, all right, let me really figure this out now and, and how to do this optimally and reach the most people and optimize this whole thing. So in 2006, my friend Craig Valentine had kind of spent a year or two really figuring out his operation and, and he helped me out. And, so it became quite a, a booming business around 2006 to sell all my own programming. And then I, I eventually realized that, you know, you want to have some, some continuity stream, just like in the gym. Like in the gym, I always tell people, if you're training people and selling sessions, you just have a job. You don't have a business. You want to get yeah. your clients, even if they're one-on-one, -on -one, you want to get them on a recurring monthly uh, membership type of thing. So that was what I wanted to do online as well. So we set up the Renegade Strength Club in 2009 with monthly programming and stuff like that. And eventually it's progressed to where I have higher end stuff now, but I was telling any business owner that you want to have some kind of recurring ongoing revenue stream. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting, uh, I, I remember hearing a podcast of yours a while ago where you were kind of giving advice to people kind of getting into the particularly the fitness business. Cause that's obviously what, what you know. And you were saying, you know, if you follow a guy like a Joe DeFranco or whatever, start, start buying his program, start supporting his stuff. Um, when, when you, when you were kind of starting to get into the blogging side, um, were you doing those initially for free until people kind of, uh, recognized the name and then, and then you started to charge or was it kind of charging from day one? No, I was just putting stuff out there for years before I started charging anything, just getting my, my name and my content out there and letting people know that I knew what I was talking about and here's what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, just trying to help people and, you know, took it from there. Okay. Um, I mean, w w one of the things you've said previously, which I, I think one of your, I mean, if I can humbly say what one of your, um, one of your appeals is your honesty, particularly the honesty in your blog. It's, it's, um, it, it's quite inspirational and it's often, it's often like the word that you need to hear because you're going through a particular issue in your life and, this blog will pop up in your email and it'll be the right, the right thing. But one of the things that, that I found quite appealing is Thanks, your honesty with regard to um, the failure that you, that you experienced in business and you had to move back in with your mom and all that stuff. Perhaps just can you chat a bit about that and, and, um, and how you cope to that emotionally? So because I was so insecure, what happened was I was making, you know, I was making six figures when I was 20 and, and, my friends who just graduated college at the time were not making anywhere near that much money. And so I always wanted to be liked and I, I wanted to do fun stuff with my friends. And if they couldn't afford it, uh, I said, you know what? It's on me. Let's go to Vegas for the weekend. It's on me. Let's get yeah. the, the hard rock suite. It's on me. Let's go to Nobu. It's on me. And, and I had a lot of bad habits. And I didn't have anyone there in my ear really telling me what to do, what was right, what was wrong. Uh, never had a close relationship with my dad and, you know, didn't, didn't talk to him. And, and so I kind of just became, 
you know, a lot of my friends jokingly called me MC Hammer because I would blow through so much money. <laughs> and, but I was also unhappy. You know, when I look back and, and, and being honest, I was just trying to, you know, I was going out a lot, even though I was this health and fitness professional, I was still going out and drinking quite a bit. You know, I would, I would eat and train and, and do all these things, but I would go out and party so much and drink and spend so much money. And I, I was just searching for something, searching for happiness and acceptance. And uh, it eventually led to me blowing through every dime, even though I was making six figures for 10 years. And I was completely broke. And I had to call my mom up with tears in my eyes, you know, ask her if I could move into her her guest room for a while and, wow. and basically spend six months there and give myself a, a deadline. And I had to just basically, you know, potatoes and, and bagels and, and scrap around for change and figure out a way to make it happen. But I had to, had to do a deep dive on, on what was going on inside my head and heart and what was causing this to happen and, and make sure, you know, I made a vow to myself that I, that I can't let this happen again. I'm going to turn it around, gave myself a deadline, which you have to do. Otherwise it's just a dream. It's not a goal. You're not going to mm-hmm. make it a reality. So I gave myself a goal, turn things around and really investigated what was going on. It was so much more. I realized that I had to do so much more than just read about fitness and nutrition and just read about business and sales and marketing. I had to start dedicating myself to a path of personal development and self-actualization and figure out what, what really mattered to me and what was going on, what, what kind of self-limiting beliefs and bad habits I had to overcome. Because you can give anyone the perfect training plan, the perfect diet, the perfect business plan, mm. but either they won't execute it or they'll execute it and fail and go back to old habits mm. unless you address, you know, deeper underlying issues and 100%. figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, mates of mine have been, we've been chatting recently and some guys, some guys drift a bit and some guys don't. But the one thing I've found is, is the kind of ability to actually love the grind, you know, to put yourself in positions which are, which are difficult and awkward and, and where you really have to struggle through the 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 growth the growth as a as a person and then ultimately as a business is is massive in those environments yeah absolutely yeah 100% um so so when you you kind of transition from from well, i mean it's quite interesting because um your your renegade weekends which i'd like to chat about a bit are are kind of going back to the the one-on-one FaceTime, um, you, you know, with people uh, rather than just on the online side. So, are you seeing sure, yeah. are, you, are you seeing guys kind of going back to more personal relationships? But I suppose you've always had you've always been training on um, on, on the coaching side anyway, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think the world now is is ripe for that. People are more connected than ever, yet less connected than ever. Sure. And people really want people are willing to pay more. And invest more in themselves for that, you know, the higher touch points, the, the, the closer personal connection. And I think it's so important and it, it's definitely missing in most people's lives. So that's why I got back into that and doing that. I really do love that. I enjoy that. And through this, you know, personal journey of, journey of discovering, you know, what, what really makes me tick, what my purpose and passion is, I found that I love that way more. I mean, it's funny because I was able to build up a really successful online business, but now it's almost torturous for me to sit behind a computer for more than 30 or 60 minutes a day. I just need to be out and mm. around people and connecting. And I think we, a lot of people tell themselves a lie that, you know what, I can be happy here. Everything's at my fingertips in my living room. I got Netflix. I got the internet. Every single thing in the world is here in my own living room. 
but that's bullshit. That's not what really makes you happy sure. without getting, you know, being amongst real humans and connecting. And so if, if, even if it means making less money, I, I'm fine with that. I, I, I know my ability to sit behind a computer and make money. I know what I can do and I, I choose to do other things yeah. and just, you know, have a real sense of fulfillment and connection. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we've been we've been created to connect, and if you don't connect, like you say, if you're sitting in your lounge um, and you're watching Netflix and you and you're making money from from your online business, there's still something, there's still a big hole that you that you're missing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just to just to from the um, from the physical training to uh, what was your first? So it was first the website, and then in terms of social media platforms kind of what came first was it youtube or was it facebook or was it instagram i, I was never big so I, I basically just blogged for a good 10 years and i blogged consistently which is what i always tell people to do you have to do one thing do it well do it consistently don't try to do 18 things at once so i blogged i probably there was probably a two or three year stretch where i wrote a minimum of 300 words every single day 365 days a year non-stop just to wow. ingrain that habit and get good at it and I never went on YouTube for the simple fact that back then I wasn't confident enough. People didn't know that. And I've only started recently talking about that, but you, you, you'd read my stuff all the time and in a gym setting with, with, with my group of athletes, my own gym, my own music. And me, I was good. You know, I, I could control that. And I was, I was good in that setting, but you took me out of there and I wasn't that comfortable with myself yet. And so, during the early days of YouTube, that's why I never really jumped on because I was still too insecure and, and thought, you know, maybe I wasn't jacked enough and big enough and strong enough and smart enough. So I didn't put out enough videos and I didn't put out enough audio stuff and pictures because I was still kind of hiding and still that insecure kid, which is something I had to work on. And then mm-hmm. eventually social, social was never really a huge thing for me. It was more just email and writing, to be honest with you. I mean, nowadays I'm on Instagram quite a bit and that, and that seems to help, but uh, I've always hated Facebook. I haven't been on Facebook probably in 10 years. Uh, I have my fan page and, and we, you know, we do stuff on there and mm. Twitter, same thing, but I haven't had uh, social media or email other than Instagram. The last couple of years I put Instagram on my phone, which honestly I toy with the idea every day of removing it, but I haven't <laughs> had the other uh, social media, uh, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, Gmail, email on my phone for years. So I try, I do the best I can to stay disconnected while still, you know, engaging and making money and doing what you got to do. So, uh, but so I, then- I would say to someone, pick one form of social media. And nowadays, Instagram's where all the attention is. Instagram's where all the focus is. So if you can quote unquote, get good at Instagram, I think that's your best bet. And YouTube's always going to be good if you're putting out high quality stuff. Yeah, but but uh, I mean, you you've you've kind of become the the connector in in, in that region. How, how do you become the connector without being on social? Was it was it um, was it purely kind of interacting with people? It's a little bit of both. You have to it, it, first and foremost. It's always going to be real world. It's always going to be in person. So get out. Go to every event you can. Go to every workshop you can. Go on meetup.com join stuff locally, go to a wine tasting, go to a softball league, you know, just get out. You have to get out and about all the time mm. and, and, and any opportunity. And then whenever someone asks you to go somewhere, to go to a concert, to go to lunch, to go to coffee. Yes, yes, yes. Always do that. And then you become the person who invites everybody everywhere. That's what I am. I am the super connector. I invite everyone everywhere. I know everybody. 
I get everyone's contact info. I never allow them to say, hey, let me get your number. Nope, I'm going to get your number. I'm going to get your email. I'm going to get your social, whatever it is. I'm going to contact you. Within 48 hours, if you're someone that I want to build a relationship with, you're going to get a text, maybe an audio message, maybe a video message from me. I'm never going to be vague. I'm going to tell you, hey, here's where we're going this time next Thursday. See you there. Mm. There's all these things you have to do. You have to get really good with people. Now, being on social and connecting online, that helps too. There's a lot of people that I know just via email or just via social media. And it's a good way to stay in touch and, and to reach out at first. Uh, but it can't be your only way, obviously, yeah. because then you'll never have any real, real, real connection. So everybody, I, I think, has to walk the line and figure out what the, what the ideal balance is for them, where it kind of intrudes on your life too much or it helps you grow your business and, and you know, grow your community. Yeah, I, I think I think the what I picked up from your from your show is um, there, there's definitely a lost art in conversation. I mean, certainly in our country, um, you know, when you when you talk to people at a coffee shop in in Cape Town, Cape Town's got a massive coffee culture. You know, the the person's waiting for your lips to stop moving, and then they're going to say what they want to say. No one's really oh, listening. God. You know, no one's really listening anymore. Um, and you, you, like uh, we finding here, we, we, we're a little bit behind the curve in terms of, of online stuff, but um, a lot of the, the, the US podcasts and the overseas podcasts like Joe Rogan, I think the reason they're so successful is because when he and when you are talking to people, you're actually listening to what they're saying and it's more conversational. So the person thinks, oh, well, if Jason's prepared to do that for me, I'll, I'll do something back for him. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it is, you know, I, I don't know if that's exclusive to over there. I mean, I haven't been there so I can't comment, but I see it here all the time too. I mean, mm. people don't have listening skills. People don't have conversation skills. And the crazy thing is it's not something we're taught in school, yet it's one of the most essential things you can learn and the, one of the most essential skills you can possess. But we don't learn that. So, you know, you can go through up until your early 20s having never been taught that. So unless you invest in yourself and go to some events and workshops and read books about this stuff. You'll never know it and you'll never know that you don't know it. So you don't know how it's hurting you yeah. and how many opportunities you are blowing to build a relationship or to get a job or to make an amazing connection because you're crappy with people and you don't listen and, and no one's going to tell you, no one's going to say, Hey man, you're a terrible listener or you're this, you're that, or you subconsciously just told me I was wrong in conversation by doing this thing subliminally that you don't even know you're doing. And there you just go about your life and wonder how it's all going wrong and why you don't have friends and why you don't have this, why you don't have that. You have to pay attention to this stuff. It's so important. It's so important. And, and I suppose you, 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 you do need that kind of tight, tight group of mates who are brave enough to say to you, Hey Mark, listen, you're going down the wrong path here. You, you talking, you know, it's all about you, 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 um, that's, that's, that's going to end badly. Yeah. It's so important to have those kind of people around you who will tell you it could be a big thing. It could be a small thing, you know, yeah. just people who will call you out on stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, so on, with regard to the, the renegade weekends, I mean, you get, you're getting, international guys coming guys from australia guys i mean what, what's the typical um kind of program layout of that weekend and and uh, what's the feedback been from the guys who, who visit yeah like you said guys from all around the world have come we've got guys a lot a lot a lot of people have come from australia from england from canada so and it tends to be guys in the 30s 40s 50s mm. 
And we always hear the same thing, what you and I are talking about here. Guys are missing connection in their lives. They don't have that tribe of men to hold them accountable, to keep them on the straight and narrow, that are living the way they want to live, that are not negative, not crabs in a bucket, not gossiping, always helping them grow, always helping them see the, the possibilities instead of showing them the risks and the, the negatives of everything they're going to do. And basically, we, we, we do... We do a lot of physical training, all different types of physical training, mental, emotional. You get pushed out of your comfort zone. Uh, we hike. We, I, I give a series of different talks. We do different roundtable stuff. And it ends up just being an, you know, an all-inclusive kind of weekend where you become your strongest self in, in a variety of ways. And, and the coolest thing is just, like I said, the level of connection amongst the guys. The guys all end up mm. becoming lifelong friends and develop just, you know, brotherhood that they, that they never had before. And so it's cool to see the guys transform. You know, you'll see somebody really awkward, uncomfortable, nervous, a certain way Friday morning and by Saturday night at dinner, a completely different person. And then yeah. we follow up a few months later, even a dramatically different person has better relationships, making more money, their marriage is better, they're a better dad, whatever it might be. So it's been really rewarding and enriching and, some of the best stuff I've ever done. Well, I mean, that must be, that must be super rewarding for you. Like, uh, you know, having, having come from the background that you've come from where you've, you've like left, you've left your, your roots in New Jersey, you've gone to California. I mean, that must've been a massive um, learning curve straight off the bat for you. You've made this, this huge group of, of friends and now you're able to kind of give back to people who are potentially in the same place that you were. That must be massively rewarding for you. Yeah, man. It, it's, it's incredible. And it's uh, uh, sorry, yeah. No, no, no. no. I, I wanted to kind of just. Um, I know you, you're, you're a busy guy, so I don't want to keep you too too long. But uh, I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't chat a little bit about wrestling, um, because I was such a massive <laughs> WWE fan back in the day. Um, and and just, so you said you got into it back in, with Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, what was your what was your journey like? And and kind of good moments that you can remember. I know you're friends with some of those folk as well. So maybe any interesting stories that you've got around that? Oh man, I, I have much time. I got lots of stories, but um, yeah, well, we, I mean, it, yeah, I've, I've always been a huge fan. What, what specifically did you want to know? No, just, just when did you, when did you get into it and, and, uh, and, and kind of memorable moments that you've got? I mean, for me, for me, I, I, I kind of remember back when the rock, um, when the rocks, came out as as the heel and he was with Farouk uh, back in the day and he yeah, yeah. changed he changed by hitting Farouk in the head with a chair and I was just I was just absolutely <laughs> ecstatic <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there was someone I, I got into it probably around 1982 oh wow and I remember yeah so I still remember the uh the night Hulk Hogan beat beat uh the Iron Sheik Oh, wow. I mean, I was obsessed as a kid. Yeah, I remember all that stuff. I remember WrestleMania one. I was at a number of WrestleManias, uh, and then and then uh, you know since then I've had some really cool opportunities. The first time I met Stone Cold as a kid, I was maybe twenty one or twenty two, and wow. hung out with, uh, with him. He was in, he was in my Jeep, and we were driving around and hanging out, drinking beers, eating late night at a diner. In Jersey how, how, how did that happen? I mean, that's that's an amazing story, just right there. How did that? How did you meet him? So, so it was yeah, it was nineteen ninety six, and he was either the Intercontinental Champion or the Tag Champion with Mick Foley, 
And he was just kind of getting started. It was right yeah. before he really blew up to be the biggest star in the history of wrestling. And we were at a bar afterwards in New Jersey and ran into him. And he couldn't even be nicer. And he was, he, was, he was with a bunch of fans. But for whatever reason, he kind of connected with me and my, my brother and my, my girlfriend at the time. And so we started talking and whatnot. And then he was going down the street to another bar. And I said, hey, man, I got a car. I could drive you down. I just figured it was worth a shot, you know. And he goes, yeah, sure. And he hopped Jeez, in my no. Jeep, my 1987 Jeep Cherokee, hopped in the front seat, which was crazy. It was so surreal. So we drive down to the next place. Uh, I drop them off. And they all got out. And I had to go find a parking spot. So I'm thinking, shit, I'll probably never see him. By the time he gets in there, there'll be a lot of people talking to him. And we won't see him. End up going in. He waves me over. We hang out. We end up talking for probably three hours. And uh, just hit it off. Really great guy. We go driving back to the hotel by Newark Airport. And I said, I, I, you know, like, I can't believe this night's going to come to an end. It's already been a dream, but it's worth a shot. Let me take another risk. I said, hey, is anyone hungry? And he goes, I could eat. And I was like, holy crap. So he goes, there's a good diner around the corner. So we, we go to this diner. It's like three in the morning. And there's no one in there. We just walk in. He, he buys us food. And we end up talking for another uh, hour or so eating. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And then we, we had some other follow-up meetings after that it was pretty cool and well, that's so amazing. yeah as a kid it was it was, it was pretty, yeah yeah what a cool story i was actually watching that hulk hogan iron chic uh thing the other day i, I, I got off netflix the bigger stronger faster documentary oh okay nice. yeah um and uh, i mean is he, is he a big guy in real life is he is he kind of as big oh, as yeah. a persona yeah very big dude yeah big dudes um just a, a couple of last business questions um you're quite a big reader um big business reader any any books that you would recommend as kind of must reads i would say building a story brand the culture code the one thing essentialism uh, those are all really good those are okay. all essential okay. rework is a really good one rework for business yeah that's why jason freed and uh David Heinmeier Hanson, really good one. Anything by Seth Godin, too. Definitely yeah, yeah. anything by Seth. All right, cool. Yeah, those are up there as, as, as some of my favorites. I mean, there's so many, but I think those are all real essentials. And then uh, anything, like I said earlier, on you know, the topics we talked about earlier, so, so how to win friends and influence people, yeah. uh, captivate, fascinate, steal the show is a really good one. Uh, the Go-Giver. I think everybody should read The Go-Giver. I'm writing fast. <laughs> what's, um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the kind of, what's the, the, the one thing that you've done, you think, in your, in your last few years of business that have, that, have changed, that have changed your life the most, changed your business the most? Good question. I mean, doing those events certainly has been tricky. You know, you, you learn by teaching and I get better mm. each time and we we refine the events a little bit each time and, you know, tweak the order of certain things and I tweak what I say, and how I approach things. So I say doing those events and then just continuing to push myself mm. in terms of building relationships and communicating and my own self-confidence and pushing myself out of my comfort zone as much as I can and just being hyper aware of it. Yeah. You know, and anytime I sense myself maybe playing a little small or backing down on something or being having a little trepidation or fear, I say, what's going on there? Why, why am I scared of that? And let, let me walk into that. 
mean, I mean, as a as a um, as a kind of a, a, a single man business for for a long time, has it helped you? Uh, you know, hiring a PA to do your planning and things like that for you. Yeah, you need that, that's one of the biggest mistakes small business owners and entrepreneurs make is they try to do everything on their own. They don't hire people soon enough. So, I, I you know, that would be one thing I would change if I could go back. I would have hired more people mm. way earlier in my career. Start outsourcing more, and even outsourcing to the point where maybe you're using FancyHands.com and you get in the habit of outsourcing different things like booking your your trips or booking dinner, or, you know, and then using uh, apps like. TaskRabbit or uh, I can't think of the other one where, where, where people do, you know, if you want to become successful, you can't be doing five and $10 an hour tests. You can't sure. be putting something together, put, put hanging pictures, all that kind of stuff. Hire people to do that. There's apps where you can get people to do that. If you have to go wait in line, go get groceries delivered, start getting in the habit of using more out apps, outsourcing more stuff, get a virtual assistant on virtual.com yeah, right, yeah. or something like that then, uh, you know, eventually hire, hire more people to, to, to do more stuff and outsource. Yeah. As you build it. Well, Jason, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been great to talk to you and, and hopefully if I'm ever in LA one day, I will look you up. And if you're ever in Cape Town, please uh, hook us up and we'll take you surfing and take you to gym. Awesome. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on. Man. Thanks mate.